The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan and attorney Ray Giudice. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice. Today, we're going to talk about uh, several stories that are happening around the Atlanta area and then in the state of Georgia. But uh, first of all, before we get started on the one out of Milton High School that is really hitting home for me because my son's at Alpharetta High School and knows a lot of kids that know the kids that have been accused of murder. We'll discuss it in just a moment on your day in court. But first, in case somebody needs some help, Bruce, how do they get hold of you? Great to be here again, as always. Uh, This is my favorite part of the week, is uh, sitting here and talking to you guys and helping to explain to the public how the court system works and what it means when you have your day in court. To reach me, it's Bruce at Hagen-Law.com. Hagen is H-A-G-E-N. You can always call me, 404-522-7553. Happy to talk to anybody about their personal injury needs or whatever it might be. Just I'm coming up now. I I got a uh, nice plaque from the uh, folks in my office for 35 years in practice. Ray Ray is a couple years ahead of me. And uh, between us, with 72 years of legal experience, we actually know a thing or two by now. Yeah, we've managed to fall forward. When we trip yeah. on something. That's all right. Yeah. Ray that's Giudice. A good, good, that's a good quality to have. Yeah. Giudice. It's Italian. Use your hands when you say it. G-I-U. D is in David. I-C-E. I'm here in Roswell now after 30 plus years in Buckhead. You know, I do criminal defense work, trial work. I do a few personal injury cases, and Bruce and I have collaborated on many of those over the years. I always say that's how Bruce and I met each other. Uh, we were both courthouse guys. We saw each other every Monday morning. He was going to the civil courts. I was going to the criminal courts. We each had a briefcase or a box with papers in it, and we, we became friendly. And uh, that's that's the difference. You know, my sign says Ray Judice PC, trial lawyers. Bruce Hagen and his people are trial lawyers, yeah. not just litigators. Litigators are good lawyers. They take a few depositions, and then they settle. You get your money when the opposition or you get a good outcome in a criminal case when the other side knows that you're willing to pick 12 jurors, you got good shoes, a nice suit, and you're not going to cry the night before trial. So quick side note, Tug, before we get into it, um, I had a chance to speak to the first-year law students at Georgia State University Law School last week. You know, one of the things the professor wanted me to do is sort of go through my career and everything. And so I explained how for the first five years of my practice, I worked at a big law firm as a litigator. Mm -hmm. And as a litigator, I learned how to basically uh, draft questions to the other side to try to find out what their case was all about, how to answer the written questions that they would send to us without actually giving away any information uh, and, and filing a 30-page document filled with objections and non-responses, and essentially how to delay and drag out the process. The day I went out on my own, I became a trial lawyer because that's when I said, I will now be taking these cases and going to court, and everything changed. It, it really does change your perspective from being a so-called litigator to an actual trial lawyer who stands up in court. You might as well be standing there naked in front of the judge and the jury because all you have is your words, mm-hmm. the facts, and the law, and there's nothing else. There you go. If you need help, these experts can help you through whatever it is that you're going through when it comes to the legal process. 
I want to talk to you guys about this uh, case out of Milton High School, which is incredibly sad. Two varsity basketball players by the name of Cam Walker and Jonathan Murray have been accused of murder. Basically, 24-year-old man was murdered in an apartment complex off Kimball Bridge Road, according to the Alpharetta Police Department. It was all discovered because of cell phones and Snapchat. Yeah, I mean, we've spent uh, maybe the last 10 Saturdays talking about how the use of technology has changed the law in so many ways. And one of the ways is law enforcement. Uh, these guys and gals in the metro area are very smart on law enforcement about about using, their techno- using the technology to build a web or to catch you in what you did. And in this case, the accused have left a electronic and digital trail. A, uh, a fingerprint a almost. A fingerprint, yeah, an excellent way of, of presenting it, uh, that at least has formulated initial accusation and charges. Now, whether that's positive proof, proof beyond a reasonable doubt, you know, that will remain to be seen as the case unfolds. But we've got two young men accused of the most serious crime under our laws of of murdering another human being. And the trail didn't just come from the accused, but it came from the victim as well. That's right. And and started with Mediate is his name. Yeah, and it started with him because he's laying there dead uh when the when the investigators arrive and so they start with him and and search through his phone and of course and they don't even records. need a warrant for that because the gentleman is dead you're not so violating his, his, his privacy rights. rights exactly right and it's an investigation of a hot crime scene so yeah. i didn't mean to interrupt no, no, but they don't even but, need a warrant but right and, and and so you know that's what then led to his most recent activity on his phone including text messages with the folks who got arrested and um, Snapchat messages and, and other means of communicating. And so, you know, apparently um, the guy who was killed was selling pot and, um, mm-hmm. you know, dealing. I think vaping canisters, vaping THC canisters. Yeah. vapors. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, he's, he's selling marijuana. But, that, you know, this is not a citizen's arrest gone bad, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even if that law still existed after uh, Ahmaud Arbery's killing, which it does not still it does exist. Not. But, but, you know, this is a what Ray and I as, as lawyers would look at and say, this is a minor drug deal mm-hmm. um, gone bad that gets resolved by apparently somebody getting shot and killed uh, in, as a result. And so, you know, it's, it's just, it's symbolic of a lot of things. Number one, how technology really has changed things. Number two, um, just how screwed up our world is, you know? Oh I mean, my God. Yeah. It's, it's like, if, if you can't handle a transaction among people and have it end with just, well, in that case, sir, uh, good luck. Go about your day. Godspeed. I'm moving on and leaving and going somewhere else. As opposed to, I'm an 18-year-old basketball prodigy with a future ahead of me, college scholarship, uh, and I'm willing to throw all of that away by shooting and killing somebody. Um, you know, it's it's just awful that oh, this, so is, this is the world we live in. Well, you know, one of the arguments for the legalization, at least of marijuana, is that if you wanted to buy some legalized marijuana, you would go to a store. <laughs> yeah. You would go to the counter, and they would put a scoop in a big glass jar and weigh out your 14 grams and put it in a bag, and you'd pay them, and you'd go home. And, and taxes probably, would be collected. And taxes would tax. be collected, that's right. Which and, I'm a fan of. And, and there would, that would not be most likely until somebody comes and robs that store, which does happen. Yeah, they sure. rob all kinds of stores. That's not a crime. I've always told folks the problem with buying an ounce of marijuana is that you don't know how good or bad right. that person is on the other side of that transaction. They may just be a upstanding business person who right now is selling marijuana. Next year they may be selling Xerox machines or <laughs> BMWs. Right. They're Something. just in the business. 
except for the problem of that person who may have a couple of pounds of marijuana to redistribute may have had to buy that those couple pounds from a bad person. Okay, mm-hmm. so so there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers yes. here. Uh, but this was not just a simple hey man, uh, I'm going out this weekend and I, we're going to party up at the lake. Can I get a half an ounce from you? These the accusation is that this was a robbery. Mm-hmm. That they knew that the seller of the drugs had drugs, had money, had a Rolex watch. This is a targeted robbery, not a dispute. What, what Bruce was talking about is he's right. You know, how quick people are to throw hands, sure. pull guns, uh, and, you know, make a TikTok about it 10 minutes later to yeah. incriminate themselves. But this appears to have been a planned robbery, and that is where these electronic transactions and, and uh, recordings are going to take place. There's a, one last wrinkle. There was an, an excellent identification of a vehicle, a very distinctive yeah, vehicle. It was a Porsche. It was a certain type of a Porsche, a very expensive Porsche, as well as a description of the color, which is sort of a deep purple eggplant mm-hmm. color. And that vehicle, I believe, they're going to download the black box, mm-hmm. and it will at least show that at the time of the homicide, when the shots rang out, and we can also talk about shot finder technology, which is another mm-hmm. wrinkle, that the vehicle was running. And there were some witnesses out there who um, identified the vehicle. The, the vehicle identified two black males, which isn't much to go on. But you know, there was there were some witnesses who corroborated at least the timing and sequence of events, as well which as will, two cell phones that pinged yeah, sure. in the general vicinity of the homicide. Absolutely, and so that will all corroborate. For example, the eyewitnesses who may not be able to say that's the person, right? Mm-hmm. At least put somebody in that vicinity with that car, with that cell phone, and it all adds up People's, together. People ask me all the time, "What's a circumstance?" Substantial evidence case. It's a case where a jigsaw puzzle, mm-hmm. and no one piece of the jigsaw puzzle puts tells you exactly what it is until all the pieces are put together. And the state's going to have a have its work cut out, but there's a lot of pieces yeah. of this puzzle. And, and I just want to refer to Shot Finder. Uh, there is now technology where metro areas have recording devices in the uh, stop signs or traffic devices, the lighting, and it records shots. And it allows law enforcement to know the time, the sequence of shots, and it it sends them, hey, there's shots going on at you know Mulberry and Fifth Street. Mm-hmm. Get on down or wow. bleaker. Yeah, that's you incredible. Know? And so that may be recorded sure. as well. Um, you know the it's, it's the cynical side of me says this: these kids are driving to this crime this, scene in a Porsche with bad intent in a Porsche. Why don't you just do what all teenagers do and steal from your parents? <laughs> you know, why, why, why are we stealing from strangers? Goodness. Uh, you know, bad things can happen there. Um, yes, the, that that shot tracker technology is amazing. And and so much. You know, like we've got a case right now where um, it's a very hard to establish um, liability case against a truck that ran over a kid on a scooter. And, and the initial report is, of course, 100% against the kid on the scooter because... The kid on the scooter isn't talking. He's dead. Mm-hmm. And, and the person driving the truck says what they always say, which is, the kid came out of nowhere. Well, we finally, through open records requests, were able to get the entire police investigative file that included a lot of video that we could not have otherwise gotten. And the video tells a whole different, different story, story about how fast this truck was going through the neighborhood and where the kids were located. It's so- just, just another example of how technology is working to help solve crimes in many situations or prove you know, a side of that that maybe hadn't been addressed before, which is uh, which is pretty darn. Well, one incredible. day we'll talk about the Innocence Project. Yes, absolutely. Is, uh, Jamie Foxx did a movie recently about the Innocence Project. It was either based in Alabama or Georgia. I don't remember which, but fascinating story. 
interesting people involved. And when you start taking a couple of hundred people off death row, yeah, it will make you reexamine absolutely uh, your your opinions or at least look at it. I, let me tell you, I, I've. I don't know if it's just getting older and more mature. I don't know what it is, but but I definitely have started seeing my own opinions about some of that stuff change, which uh, there was a story out of Oklahoma, as a matter of fact, where the uh, the governor out there did a stay of commuted, execution. Yes. Yeah, commuted a crime, and now it's life in prison versus the death penalty. When we come back, another really um, incredible case that has uh, captured the spotlight in the state of Georgia, but throughout the country as well, and that's the Amont Aubrey trial. We'll talk about that next Here on Extra 106.3, this is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowart. You're listening to Extra 1063. If you miss any of the shows then and, and the topics that we talk about, you can always go back and listen to them in podcast form on the Extra 1063 app. You can also do that on any platform that provides podcasts, whether it is uh, Google or Apple or Amazon, wherever. You can always just search for your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice, and you'll find it. We're going to talk about a trial going on in Glen County, Georgia. I was already corrected, and I wanted I want to point out why, because the correction was correct. I said it was the Ahmaud Aubrey trial, and just in general, it's been called that, but that isn't correct. And Bruce was quick to point out, and rightfully so, that Ahmaud Aubrey's not on trial. Right, he's not on trial. He's he's deceased. But, you know, th- this trial is juxtaposed against the also very publicized trial and from Kenosha, Wisconsin, involving Kyle Rittenhouse. That is the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. It is. Kyle Rittenhouse is the person on trial. Correct. Here you've got the McMichael father and son and uh, the- William the, Roddy Bryan. Yeah, Rowdy Roddy Bryan. That's right. I've been calling him like a wrestler. But yeah, William Bryan is on trial. And so it's it's the trial involving the people accused of- Murdering. Aubrey's murder. But it's not. But he's not the one on trial, even though it may seem so. But in both cases, the defense team has put- the victims on trial. In other words, that's how you you pursue a self-defense claim or a stand-your-ground claim, which is, no, I wasn't the aggressor. Mm -hmm. I was defending myself Mm -hmm. from a violent attack uh, or someone trying to take my gun. In both cases, uh, trying to get my gun away from me, which I had a lawful right to have that gun. I wasn't making a citizen's arrest in in the Arbery case and uh, Mr. Rittenhouse apparently now had a gun that was legal in the state of Wisconsin for him to have after many months of uh, of liberal critics who could have probably pulled up the statute 
that said in a hunting state like Wisconsin, an underage person couldn't have a long barrel rifle in public. And, and, the, and the prosecution lost that charge by the judge. Certainly should have known that, and regardless of what you may think of uh, right. the wisdom of a law like that, I agree. Um, or the wisdom of nine-year-olds out hunting, uh, which is you know pa- a tradition passed down, I'm sure, for generations among some families, not not the Judice or Hagen families necessarily. Mine definitely. But, I went hunting yeah. as a, a small um, town. But it, you know, realistically, um, it, it's again we talk about what a crazy world we're in that that somehow or another carrying this type of weapon around can be found as comparable to. I'm just a kid who's out, you know, with a hunting weapon. Right? So I, 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 it's, 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 it's not really your, something else. Yeah, it's not your single so, shot thirty so, um, but, out six that you hunt deer with, right? But to, but to raise point about, um, you know, the behavior being the behavior of the victims um, coming into evidence, you know, the defenses in both of these cases involve the state of mind of the folks who are accused. And what they were thinking in the moment, what they perceived in the moment, the defenses that they raise are very difficult defenses to raise, but but it does get into their state of mind. So often in criminal cases, and we've talked about what it means to have the presumption of innocence, we've talked about what it means to have your Fifth Amendment um, right against self-incrimination, so often the smartest thing for a defendant to do in a criminal trial like this is not to take the witness stand and not to testify, because when you take the witness stand, you're subject to being cross-examined about Anything, who knows what. Um, but when you're getting into what is the state of mind of, of the person accused, if they don't take the stand to describe what it is, then how is that going to be established? And, sure. and it becomes very disingenuous. You're asking the jury to really do a lot of work for you if you say that I need you to go inside the head of this person accused of this crime and understand their mindset of where they were coming from, but I'm not going to tell you anything about what they were thinking. You're going to have to make that... Um, leap based on other things you've heard in the case that really might leave you coming up short here on that. And for a self-defense claim, the standard is, and of course we have 50 separate colonies, so it differs from, from colony to colony here, but was your action in defending yourself or your family or your property, which is all part of the the umbrella of what a self-defense statute allows you to protect, reasonable under the circumstances that's kind of the reasonable man's standard, but also to your particular circumstance. So, you know, there's always that argument. My first day of law school, the uh, the nerd from the technology room comes down and threatens Muhammad Ali. He's going, I'm going to beat you up, Muhammad. And Muhammad Ali just laughs because a reasonable man would, reasonable Muhammad Ali says, no, you're not. I'm going to give you a quick jab and you're going down. But a guy swinging a baseball bat with nails through it starts chasing him down the street. And finally, you've had enough and you pull out your your Luger and you put a you put a bullet in his head. Is that reasonable? Sure it is. So the circumstances, these are very fact-based defenses. And there's a reason that in both trials, the shooter took the stand. And his his witness, both lawyers, both the Rittenhouse and Tra- which uh, was a Travis McMichael, took the witness stand under direct examination with their lawyer. That has been practiced and crafted and questioned and answered and scripted. Uh, because, as Bruce points out, and I've had so many clients say, you know, if you just put me on a witness stand, I can explain. <laughs> and I say, yeah, if I just put you on a witness stand, the prosecutor's going to melt Rip you like a trance. candle. Ray, before Ray puts one of those guys on the witness stand, he's like, well, can I just make I sure you that, sign your, that your check cleared and yeah. my fees have been paid in full because where you're going is uh, not I, good. I can't, I can't have you send me a carton of cigarettes and payment of my fees. Yeah. Well, and here's how it works. If, if they don't go on a witness stand and they're convicted, the, the complaint is you should have put me on a stand. Right. And vice they versa. They did go on a stand and yeah. they're convicted. Why did you put me on a witness stand? So that is why we'll do this 
quick. We've done it before. Uh, at the close of the state's case, the judge says, all right, Mr. Prosec- uh, Mr. Defense Lawyer, what does your client want to do? Mr. Defendant, stand up. You have a right to testify or not testify. What would you like to do? Have you discussed this with your lawyer? Are you sure that's what you want to do? We were under, say it out loud so the court reporter can write it down. <laughs> and if you change your mind, let us know. And by the way, everything Ray just said that happens in those cases happens outside the presence yes, of the jury. Correct. So the jury doesn't have the benefit of hearing and seeing all that. And, and both of these trials will highlight something we've talked about before, which is the difference between things that we all hear through the media and watching this stuff on television, if we're watching, um, versus the things that the jury hears, which is something that's much more curated and, and ideally not subject to some of the outside prejudice. For example, there's been all this discussion about the influence of having black clergy in the courtroom and how the defense has moved for mistrial based on the presence of black clergy in the courtroom, has asked the judge to limit the presence of black clergy in the courtroom, um, the circus going on outside of the courtroom, right? What does the jury know, if anything, about any of that? They certainly Mm -hmm. don't know about the motions that are filed. That's Mm -hmm. done outside their presence. Do they see or hear some of the things that are happening outside the courthouse as they go in and out uh, in their bus? Or on their phone. Or on their phone. Well, certainly. I know they're supposed to, but how can you not? As jurors, if they're looking at that. I get it. But yesterday or earlier in the week, there was an incident um, where uh, an MSNBC reporter um, followed the busload of jurors as it left the courthouse in absolute violation of the sanctity of the jury and the judge's orders that the media stay away from this. And that led to some some sanctions against the media and another call for a mistrial. Um, we certainly can't have anything where the jurors are feeling intimidated or pressured or that they're in the spotlight in any way. That That's against every tenet of our judicial system. So for a guy like me that's just an average everyday guy, and I see these two cases going on, and, and it seems pretty clear to me, based on what I've read, of course, there's plenty that I haven't seen, and just like you're describing. But like with the with the Ahmaud Aubrey case, I, I mean, I, they look guilty as sin to me, right? And then up in Kenosha, it looks like the kid defended himself. So it looks like those, to me anyway, that those are the way that those two cases should go. Am I wrong? Am I crazy? Or is that the way, is that, am I looking at it through the wrong lens? Well, everybody forms their opinions based on the things that we see, and you're not wrong to form an opinion. Sure. It's, it's just that you're not in the courtroom, and so sometimes when the decision made by those 12 people who are ultimately selected to make that decision, if they come up with something that doesn't seem to match the narrative that we've all heard and, and the opinions we formed from right. following this right. on the outside, we think that there's a uh, jury system run amok, and that's right. really not the case because the jurors are—, are legitimately in there grappling with the evidence that they were presented and the law that they're informed to try to come up with some sort of decision. And, and this idea that that they've reached some rogue verdict or out of control, it, it's really the exception that that ever happens mm-hmm. here. Even though it might not match up with what you think and what we all see, because we see so much extraneous stuff yeah. that is outside the rules of evidence. You know, right. the, the, the judge is a referee, basically, and is mm-hmm. supposed to call, or, or an umpire, supposed to call the balls and strikes, applying the law to the facts in this case. And so the rules of evidence are designed to keep things fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 whether that happens or not uh, is hard to say, but the judge and, and what the jury ultimately sees is, is based on what's allowed into evidence. What we see is everything else, including the things that are excluded. No, but like when you look at it, do you see it that way too, kind of the way I do, that, that 
that this looks like the outcomes that'll happen? I'll tell you what caught my attention this week, and, and it's something Ray can talk about a little bit. It's about kind of how we clean up our clients for court. You know, Travis McMichael took the stand, and he looked like the most reasonable I just business noticed person. That. I just noticed that. Um, wearing a nice suit with a very neat haircut. Um, I think he changed his glasses completely. He's lost probably 30 pounds or so since then. I mean, he, he looks like he could be... Any anybody you meet at any business conference anywhere, um, he's speaking in a very calm and rational manner, even on the things that you know he's getting uh, hammered on, uh, and says things like, "Well, at that moment, I was just thinking I may never see in my children moment, again." What was reasonable in yeah. that context of that moment, and that was good lawyering. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll say that I think one of the things that's impacting perhaps Tug's view and many folks is what's gone on amongst the judges and the lawyers. And you're really seeing, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, just as a just as an observer of 37 years in the courtroom, and I was a little bit of a court rat when I was a kid. If I saw an interesting trial, you know, I'd just go watch it for a few hours back in the day. Uh, you're seeing a trial that's being conducted, I think, with a, a, a high degree of professionalism by the judge and the prosecutor in Brunswick. Not mm-hmm. so much, at least one of the defense lawyers. I think his motions, first of all, in this country, we have a tradition of open courtrooms except in juvenile mm-hmm. court and some very specific security problems, mm-hmm. gang cases, things like that. Uh, to stand up there and make that allegation and try to make some kind of a court of appeals record for his appeal that the jury was unduly influenced because there were black pastors in the courtroom – you know, I don't. I couldn't do that. I, yeah, I wouldn't do that. Absurd. You just, you know, we're, you know, as lawyers, we're not, we're not required to make every farcical, ridiculous argument, no matter mm-hmm. what folks want to pay us to do. Right. You're, so the prosecutor, she's a Fulton County assistant district attorney, and I apologize, her name escapes me at the moment, uh, but she has done a solid, methodical, brick by brick. And I've heard some, you know, sniping. Well, she doesn't seem to be all that passionate. Don't worry. Wait till she gets to closing. Yeah. She's building the case brick by brick, piece by piece of the puzzle, and she's going to bring it all together in closing argument. Uh, the judge in, in New Brunswick has done a marvelous job as far as I'm concerned. And what he's trying to do is make sure everybody in that room, including the state of Georgia and the people of the state, that's who the DA rec- represents, gets a fair trial. Mm-hmm. Opposite up there in Wisconsin. Uh, you're seeing a judge who uh, is apparently he's like a moth to that camera. He likes the lights. He likes to be heard. I think you've got a DA that, quite frankly, isn't up to the game. No, uh, clearly not. And he either not prepared or not ready for prime time. Uh, and you've got some good defense counsel that's done a nice about, job. I was about to say that because the defense has been, that's the thing that I noticed the most, is that everybody that's gone up, even the people that the prosecution have called, has proven the defense's point. You're going to see in closing argument that defense lawyer is going to bring up a, a either a what do, what do you call the thing on the board the electronic board the PowerPoint uh, whatever uh, yeah. I was born in '58 kids yeah right I'm not, <laughs> I, I like an easel yeah, I go down I still go to the art supply place yeah and get a big just get a big easel board and a no yeah. paper oh paper I like paper and, <laughs> and, a, and a magic <laughs> marker man and, yeah you know and I'm going to draw a line it down works. the middle and I'm going to put points mm-hmm. and I'm going to put. The, def- the prosecution's witnesses making points for mm-hmm. the defense. And then the argument is it's their case to prove. Mm-hmm. The state has the burden. You may in your heart of hearts think that my client is guilty, but the state did not meet its burden of evidence. 
and the and, highest and you ever. Really, and you really come back in that argument as well to what is the standard here, right? Mm-hmm. You know, be, to, to prove it, the state doesn't just have to prove their case, but they have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt is a very difficult standard. One of the things we have to deal with in civil cases is that people show up for jury service and they've seen movies, they've seen TV shows, they 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 have their knowledge of the law from Matlock, you know, and yeah. things like this. <laughs> And, and and those are criminal cases, right? And so they they think beyond a reasonable doubt, I ha- I have to be completely convinced, you know, basically in order to come up with this ruling. If if you took it from a scale of zero percent proof on on the low end and a hundred percent proof on the other end, um, that beyond a reasonable doubt is all the way over close to one hundred percent, right? That mm-hmm. the state has to prove it. You so got to get into the end zone. You, you got to be you got to be at least at the one yard line. Right. You know, you got yeah. you got to be right. pretty right. close, right? Um, well within the red zone. Um, whereas in the civil cases, the standard of proof is what we call a preponderance of the evidence, meaning you just got to get across the 50. Mm-hmm. If you, you could have all kinds of doubt in, in, in your mind of what happened here, but if it's just more likely than not that Tipping what you're the scales. you've tipped the scales ever so slightly in your favor, then you've met your burden in a civil case, which is why you can see something like O.J. Simpson get acquitted in the criminal trial and yet convicted, or not convicted, but but found guilty for the wrongful death of Nicole Brown Simpson yeah. and responsible in the civil suit mm-hmm. against him. With the same evidence. Totally different standard, but the same evidence. And, but more competent attorneys. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> one of the things, too, that, that, that you really notice here, and it goes to what Ray was saying earlier, is like, a good umpire, a good umpire, a good judge is supposed to be like an umpire or referee that you don't even notice that they're there, right? If I asked you, Tug, tell me one thing about the judge in the trial involving Ahmad Ar- Arbery's murder, you can't really tell Couldn't me anything. Couldn't tell you anything. Right? And if I tell you, tell me something about the judge in the Rittenhouse trial, you're going to have 10 things to tell yeah, me because this guy has yeah. really seized the moment to make it about him. And now it becomes appealable. Uh, I've been in front of some judges and I'll make an objection or maybe ask a question I shouldn't, I'm pushing the, I'm testing the waters, pushing the limit, and they'll fold their arms and put their, cock their head sideways and look at me. They don't have to say a word or arch an eyebrow <laughs> or Mr. Judice, you know, and that's when I know I've been, that's okay, I've, I've, I've gone up against the wall. Back, okay, back so off. let me ask all about that then, because there's been in both cases, uh, and I don't remember who introduced, but in the prosecution in Rittenhouse, so I think it would probably be the defense in the uh, case with Ahmaud Aubrey or about Ahmaud Aubrey, is that somebody would say something knowing that it wasn't supposed to be said or introduced. Is that on purpose so they can get it and, and it be because it can't be unheard. It can be, and and sometimes like if you know things are going badly for mm-hmm. your case. You may try to in- induce the other side to make a motion for a mistrial so you can get a restart. You, you, it's like you get a mulligan you, and you start over again a month, six months down the road. I mean, look, this is a chess match. And sometimes in playing chess, you make a move to induce your opponent to make a move that you want them to make. And that can happen in a case. When I was a baby prosecutor a long time ago, uh, our, our head of our office made each lawyer handle their own appeals and what that meant was when you went to trial as a prosecutor you made sure you didn't make an error or induce error because you were going to have to do all that appellate research write the brief which is a lot of work work. work. and most trial lawyers courtroom lawyers don't like to do the appellate stuff so that was his way of controlling you know getting a little too trying to sneak something in Uh, i taught litigation at emory law school in a third year seminar for about six or seven years And I used to tell the young, soon-to-be lawyers, be smart, this is your profession, but don't be clever. Eddie Haskell was clever. 
if Lynn leave it to Beaver. And you know what? Nobody liked Eddie Haskell. No, okay. And you could tell when you're being clever. It's just not what you do in a courtroom. Sometimes, as Bruce said, man, I, I need to I need to sandbag this thing. It doesn't happen much. Right. It really doesn't happen okay. much. I just it just can't happen twice. You know, you, Once it, in both it, cases. This ain't WWF wrestling. Right. Where where you know all of a sudden have a yeah yeah all of a sudden it's a gimmick or you take you get pinned and so there's a rematch. Mm-hmm. You know these lawyers have licenses to practice law they have reputations they will have a career sure. maybe they want to go to the u.s attorney's office private practice you don't want you don't want a reputation as a trial lawyer of you know of bailing out the other thing is again going back to the public perception of how this process works versus the reality that ray and i deal with in court every day is that the public perception is that oh yeah there's that surprise witness out there that uh perry mason's going to produce at, at the last minute or you know some bit of evidence that never came forward whereas the reality is that everything is supposed to be an open book and and both sides are supposed to disclose to the other all the things they have, every fact in support, every witness in support, whatever it might be. So when something comes up that's outside of that, and it did come up uh, in the Rittenhouse trial, um, that's, number one, it's really unusual. Number two, it's it's very strongly frowned upon. Um, and that sort of thing is oftentimes, if not every time, excluded from being presented to the jury unless something different occurred, such as the door was opened to now allowing something in. If you've gone through a year of exchanging information with the other side and, you know, it's like, we need to see all pictures, all videotapes, everything you've got, uh, and everybody exchanges everything, right? Called discovery. Discovery. And, and it happens in criminal cases. It happens in civil cases. And then suddenly at trial, you produce a, a, a totally different view of this from a different camera that you've had all along. Now you're opening yourself up to censure. You're opening yourself up to sanctions, and you really should be precluded from ever even especially every, in, that especially in criminal cases. Yeah, uh, this is where the judges do step up in most cases to protect the accused from the state, the prosecution, calling a last minute eyewitness judge, or we all of a sudden we found this videotape last night. Well, the defense first of all makes a motion to reset the case or sanctions so it doesn't happen often and most prosecutors play play it honestly and they turn over the discovery about when they're supposed to uh, and they supplement it as things occur but the one thing in a criminal case that as a defendant you cannot prepare for is what's called a rebuttal witness so the prosecution puts on its case the defense puts on its case and raises some issue that now the prosecution, who may have had that rebuttal witness in their back pocket, they did not have to discuss it, they didn't have to disclose it, but they called this rebuttal witness to do what? To rebut a defense that the prosecution didn't even know was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in th- th- Al- This is really part of the chess game that Ray yes. was talking about, right. where, where uh, that, that goes on very yeah. often. The best lawyers know how to do that. It happens in right. alibi. So in Georgia, if I'm going to make an alibi defense, I have to disclose that I'm going to use an alibi defense to the prosecution, I think it's 10 days prior to trial, so they can prepare for that. Well, I put up my alibi story and my witness, well, I wasn't there, I was at, you know, I was at Mo's and Joe's that night, and I was having, Horace was bringing me beer and popcorn, this is, this is going old Atlanta, the legendary Horace that worked at Mo's and Joe's in the Highlands for, I think, 40 years. His mural is His painted mural outside is the bar right And now. a man who put up with more drunk college brats, I plead guilty, with dignity for many years, uh, I was there, well... The state has Horace under subpoena. We're not going to use him in our case in chief. We're going to wait till you make that argument. And Horace, and I apologize, I don't remember the gentleman's last name, comes in and says, no, 
I was there all night. Judice was over there, drunk. Hagen was nursing a margarita, but I didn't see Tug. He was not there that ah. night, and that's my job. I've been there 35 years to Goodness. know who came in and come out. Yeah, right. and unfortunately, in Ray's example, um, <laughs> you you would be able to tear Horace apart completely with that because everybody knows no one in the history of Mo's and Joe's has ever had a margarita. It, it was, it, it it's was, a PBR. It was that's a PBR, it. and when I started drinking there in 1978, it was a dollar and a quarter a Goodness pitcher. A uh, pitcher. pitcher. Live was much better then. <laughs> and you could park and a gravel lot for free. That's and you it. can't blame Biden for that price increase. No, sir. You can you try, cannot. but you can't. All right, all right. Yeah. I'll hold off on that. Yeah, I'll come up with something. <laughs> all right. This is Extra 106.3 in your day in court. When we come back, a hit and run in Marietta. How will this play out? Because I feel like the guy in the hit and run knew exactly what he did. I could be completely wrong. But uh, he finally did call the police and said, yes, I did hit something. I noticed the damage to my car when I got home. What happens to him because he's been arrested on felony hit-and-run charges? We'll discuss it next on your day in court here on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out (sighs) or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing, or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back. Final segment of your day in court here on Extra 106.3 with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. We're going to end on a hit and run. This happened in Marietta and a grandmother last Tuesday night was uh, walking on Delk Road in front of a Shell gas station when she was hit by a car with her uh, two elementary age grandchildren. She was killed. The 58 year old Deborah Jones was killed. The grandchildren were not. A 63-year-old Dunwoody resident, Howard Arden, called Marietta police about 30 minutes after the hit-and-run and said, I may have hit something. I see damage on my car. He's been charged with felony hit-and-run. You guys have experienced hit-and-runs, I'm sure, as, as far as in the courtroom. You're 100% correct when you say Ray and I have ex- have experience in this area. Uh, I did mention our combined 70-plus years of legal experience, but hit-and-run, look, it's it's something that comes up a lot in civil cases. We deal with it on behalf of the injured victims. It comes up because people get charged criminally with it. And so this particular case in Marietta, is it's horrible, but we hear this sort of thing all the time, and drivers will come up with that. What are you going to say? I saw the 63-year-old grandmother Mm -hmm. crossing, holding hands with these two little kids as she was trying to cross the street and hit her and left anyway? Or I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a deer. If you're looking out at your cell phone, if you're changing the station, you might not see something. It's the same thing we see a lot, Ray, in cases where there's a child involved or for all the bicycle crashes we handle where people will say like, they came out of nowhere. 
if you're not paying attention, everything seems to come out of nowhere. So let's talk about how the prosecution may put this case together or how the defense may defend the case. Perhaps in allegedly about nine o'clock in the evening, which means this vehicle should have had its headlights on. It apparently happened in front of a shell gas station, which means there's ambient lighting coming from the gas station lights and it's lit up. I'll bet there's a security camera that is facing the gas pumps and into the roadway. There may be other commercial establishments or homes that also have security cameras. Years ago, I was able to defend my client successfully in a burglary charge of a commercial property, a, a business, by getting the video from the ATM machine, which was an outside ATM machine in one of the little plexiglass kiosks that showed an entirely different person breaking into the store and, and running down the street with goods. So law enforcement's out there now. They're looking for cameras. They're looking for video. They're looking for witnesses. But here's the thing, and I, I agree with Bruce. If you hit something, you got to pull over. You got to get out, take a look. It may have been somebody left a water bottle. If you ever run over a water bottle, it makes a pretty good noise. Or you hit a pothole and you and your and your tires ruptured. But 30 minutes later, that's going to be the issue. Is is that a hit and run? What is the distance covered? And did he do anything to cover up? Did he clean up the car? Yeah, did an he op- open? A liquor bottle in the vehicle with him that he threw away or try to sober himself up. Or, right, or de- or delete whatever he was. the person may have been looking on their cell phone at the time. You or know, drop uh, off the truck stop hooker that he picked up. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I, <haven't laughs> I didn't say that one coming. <laughs> things, well, things what happen. Is this, the Chuck Oliver show? <laughs> <laughs> things happen. There are very, very limited and rare circumstances when you can be justified in leaving the scene of a crash if you're in fear for your own safety, uh, right? But it's that's a tough one. So right. I'm in the midst of a gang fight, and... You know, I see the sharks on one side of the street and the jets on the other, and they're and, and they're you know coming at each other. And I accidentally hit somebody, I'm and I'm, I'm scared for my own safety. I'm going to drive to the nearest police station sure. and go there and say I was just involved in this incident that happened back there on Delk Road, but I'm afraid for my own safety, so I came straight here to the police station. And let's look at this accused individual's cell phone post impact. Is anybody looking up the law? If you have an accident, a pure accident, and somebody is killed, it's generally a misdemeanor vehicular homicide. It's an accident. It's still a criminal charge. It's still very serious, but it's a misdemeanor. So that means there was no drinking. There was no high speed. There was no reckless driving. There was and no there was no scene. And there was no leaving the scene. <laughs> Sorry to cut you which, off. No, 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 exactly. You, you get the punchline. <laughs> yeah. Because that turns what could be a pure accident. Maybe the lady stepped in front of the car. Yeah. Maybe they're both got some contributory negligence. But when you leave the scene, it turns it into a felony. It is a, mm. f- a misdemeanor vehicle homicide turns into a felony leaving the scene of the accident. And that's really serious. It sure is. The other very, very important lesson for everybody who's listening to this is that you have to protect yourself and your family by having uninsured motorist coverage. That lady who was hit as a pedestrian if she had a car insurance policy that has uninsured motorist coverage on it, that insurance follows her everywhere she goes, even when she's crossing the street on Delk Road. So if this driver had hit her and never been identified, which sadly more often than Happens not seems lot. to happen, yeah. that's your only recourse to protect yourself, to cover medical bills, to pay you back for loss of income, your pain and suffering, whatever the claims might be, that's your recourse. And then it's your insurance company's job to go track down the 
unidentified driver and see if they can. But you can file it. a claim under a John Doe if there's if there's evidence Correct. or a Jane Doe. And right. so and so every listener, the most important takeaway from this story is check your auto insurance policy. Make sure you have as much uninsured motorist coverage as you can possibly afford. Pay for more of it because it's cheap. It's cheap. And it's the thing that protects you more so than anything else. And there's two different types of uninsured motorist coverage. You want the one that is added on top of whatever coverage the other driver has called add-on. Add-on insurance. Not Make sure set off. That's, no. Those are the two t- definitions. Okay, but Add-on. But let's go back in time and let's say that this set of facts turns out to be a pure accident, that the driver did make a driving mistake. Now, what's going to happen next that driver is going to get sued mm-hmm. now how much liability coverage do you have uh, I, I Bruce we talk to folks all the time and we say how much insurance do you have and they say I got full coverage well basically full coverage to most folks means I got enough insurance to get that little decal that says 2021 and I put it in the far right hand corner bottom corner of my license plate and I'm fully covered well for the law minimum you are but not if you accidentally kill somebody or I hate to say it because Bruce are high in this business but for the cost of a case if you permanently disable them from a lifetime of work and mm-hmm. earnings quite frankly those cases can have higher expectations of settlement than death cases absolutely and if you have any assets then you have something Protect worth your protecting you know and that be that's your home that's anything or it's your income if you have a high paying job now bob dylan said when you ain't got nothing you got nothing to lose i mean if you're if you're listening to this and the only possession you have is your, the radio on which you're listening um, and you don't have a job and you don't have a home and you don't have a bank account what do you need more than $25,000 in insurance Well, but for, then you've you know? got a judgment against you for the rest of your life, and you can't get a credit card, mm-hmm. and you can't buy a house, and you can't you can't win the lottery because right. it's seized, oh, or your heaven. tax returns are yeah, levied upon. So it, your point is well taken. You, you can convince yourself that you're quote-unquote judgment-proof, but what it's really easier to do is sit down with a good insurance agent broker and say, you know, the housing thing's gone up. My house is now worth a half a million dollars, and yeah. it's paid for. Well, you need at least yeah. a half a million dollars no worth of auto insurance, kidding. okay? Good right. advice from expert lawyers. Bruce Hagan, how do folks get a hold of you? My number's 404-522-7553. Call me anytime. You can also uh, check out my website, hagan-law.com, or email me, bruce, at hagan-law.com. Should have some nice pictures up there pretty soon. We just did uh, a photo shoot this week. You might have noticed my haircut. Yeah, I did. Uh, but I, I am uh, blessed to have been selected now for the 17th consecutive year as a Georgia super lawyer. Nice. And, so, uh, and my son, Matt, who works with me, is a Georgia rising star recognized by the Super So we decided, you know, let's have a hole in Mills come out like we did when you were a kid and, and get a picture and, uh, coming up in the I future. I happened to Atlanta go magazine. to his office right after that photo shoot. You were taking off your clip-on tie. <laughs> and, my, and my dickie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. I'm Ray Giudice, G-I-U-D is in D- David I-C-E. And I understand that our voices in this show are heard far and wide including Palm Beach, Florida. Man, is that's that right? right. Exactly Folks right. Listening and down to Palm another Beach. interesting Hagen-Judice connection. Not only did we grow up within a stone's throw of each other in New York, but a very dear Emory Law class of 85 classmate of mine, John Halvey, a fantastic lawyer who apparently has done really, really well, went to high school with you. He was captain of my high school football team. How about that? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. We appreciate you listening, sir. Make it a great day. This is Extra 106.3 and your day in court. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. 
You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacy Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacy's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. 